Hey there, beautiful people. Welcome to Fantasy, the podcast for all those complex and complicado conversations about the gray areas in our lives. I am really thrown off my game right now. Um, uh, wow, I had like a whole thing I was going to do today, and that just completely took me out. <laughs> I'm Trayvell Anderson. Oh, oh uh, yeah, my name's Jarrett. Um, I, I host around here. Um, uh, we're... <laughs> You're going to hold the microphone this whole time. Yeah, I was saying that I'm trying something new and something different. You know, um, we'll see, you know, what what it gives. Because, you know, I usually like to talk with my hands. You can't really do that when one of the hands is obligated. Um, for the people who are listening and not watching us, I am holding my microphone <laughs> as opposed to having it on the stand this go around. We'll see how it works out. I almost, <laughs> I don't know why it's so funny to me. Like, it's... It is pure comedy. I kind of want to join you, but I don't have the right microphone hooked up for that today. Yeah. But like, it's it's all right. It's so hilarious. It's all right. While you recollect yourself, I will tell the people what we are going to get into today. We will be talking about Don Lemonisha. All right. He will be our uh, our fantastic topic today, the complex and complicado of it. But first, we have a very special I don't know if we're calling this a pop the past the popcorn moment. Maybe it's just an announcement. You know, insert horns here. Burr, 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 burr. Burr, 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 burr. No, it's a. Burr, burr, burr. Burr, 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 burr. <laughs> I know Anne put in a split screen right there. Y'all love that. So here's the thing: we have uh, been working on something. I don't know if you've really heard about it, but Travell and I are authors and authoresses with Period. books in store right now. Uh, we see each other available. <laughs> It, wherever you get your slayworthy um, books. Amen. And another book on the way, Historically Black Phrases, which will be available September 19th. We've been working on this book for about two years now. And my God, today. Having gotten it sold in l- late 2021, after about five years of, of trying to pitch it myself um, as a book, as a show, as a video series, as all kinds of different shit, we've got a bit of an exciting like reveal for y'all right now here on the podcast. Y'all have been uh, writing with us for this and we can actually show you our cover today and so uh, for those of you on youtube you'll be able to see it and we'll be able to talk about it um for those of you that are listening but yeah it's either it's either over here or over here maybe it's up there <laughs> no i think it's right there i think it's, it's i think it's full screen right now for y'all uh <laughs> as we record um this is our cover and i'm so excited about it um we have <laughs> worked very hard um, on design and going back and forth with ideas. Um, Travel was like very, very vocal about what they wanted in this process. Wow. To the point that was just really frustrating to work with. What? Wow. You go ahead, rewrite history, <laughs> honey. Go ahead. Well, actually, okay. I think the one of the interesting things about the book, the interior and the exterior, as we're looking at the cover, you can see the the background is all the um, all the different phrases from inside the book, and so you kind of get a, a feel for um, what is inside the book. But Travel, um, you haven't seen this. This is actually reminiscent of like my first pitch deck back in 2017. And I gave the producers the image so you can see it. And like, it's very similar to like, it has the same kind of like vibe, if you will. Um, This was back when I was pitching it. Yeah. As like, you know, the video series and all those other things. And so now we have the actual. You think I'm surprised by this? No, not at all. I didn't expect you to be like, to fall over. You're holding a microphone. I wasn't expecting anything. I don't know what's happening. Um, but like we have been well let me say this go ahead 
Oh, I was just going to say this. You know, Jared has been, y'all have heard the story of, you know, how this book came to be from Jared probably a couple times at this point on the podcast. I will give you the abbreviated okay. if you are just joining us now in the name of Jesus. Long story short, Jared was, you know, doing Facebook messages, defining various words that we as, you know, black folks use often in our discourse. And somebody said, oh, you should make this into a book. And Jared, for whatever reason, was like, oh, yeah, I should make this into a book. And so Jared, you know, put something together, started pitching it as a book, as a TV show, as all of these other things. For whatever reason, it didn't work out. And then he had the best idea he has ever had, okay? And that was to bring me on to the project because... We all know that I have that little special razzle-dazzle. Everything, you know, just improves when I come into the mix. And we are so grateful for and it. And then we were... A listen, listen. You know what? It is very hard being me, okay? <laughs> if this were Abbott Elementary, I would look to camera. Like, girl. But the point is... We are revealing the cover to you all. As you see, the cover is very much Jared's aesthetic. You saw the the initial pitch deck background, you know, vision that he had. And so, you know, Jared has been living with this book and this idea for a little minute. I have only been living with it for, what, the last two and a half years or so. And so what you see, we hope you will enjoy. It is a, you know, uh, it's a coffee table book, but like one of the smaller coffee table book sizes it's going to be very thick you know highly designed it's going to be a good time okay just know that september 19th <laughs> i did not expect you to tell the story and like i am realizing i've never heard you tell that story but now i'm also recognizing how i tell that story all the mm -hmm. time because you said all the things that i say every mm -hmm. time and i'm like oh jesus we're getting ready to go on like Unpressed for the book in a couple of months, and we're going to be doing this. Yeah, we gonna we gonna have to figure out another story, baby, because I'm t I'm tired of that one. We <laughs> I done heard that story too much. <laughs> well, I also want to say, like we um, when we were designing the the interior of the book, um, I had all these ideas about what it would look like when it was my book, but when it became our book, I was like, well, I don't know what that book looks like. And we had design meetings and Travel was like, well, what do you mean you don't know what that book looks like, what the book looks like? And I was like, well, and I said all that. And you were like really kind of pushing back like I was being ridiculous. And I was like, what do you mean? You were being ridiculous um, because we all we all know you can look at the frame. Look, look at Jared's frame and put up Jared full screen right here. OK, look at that office. Okay, look at the pillows behind Jared. They are perfectly karate chopped in the middle. See, you didn't even have to zoom out. You didn't have to do all that. You didn't have to do all that. And so we know that Jared just has a particular, you know, idea in aesthetic. And, you know, I was like, listen, let's lean into it. And so that's the book. It's available for pre-order right now. It comes out September 19th. We'll be doing, you know, the tours and all that in the press and all that stuff coming. Um, but we really just wanted to kind of give you all the little exclusive, if you will, of what you can expect come September 19th. So check it out, y'all. Yes, you can You can, You can. can pre-order the book at historicallyblackphrases.com. You can get it um, at an independent bookstore or wherever you get uh, your book. So we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we are talking about Don Lemon. I'm actually a little bit anxious about this. I don't. I still don't know if we should. You'll be all right. But we're going to do it. That's next. 
trans representation in media is at an all-time high, with trans entertainers gracing the screens large and small. But trans voices, especially black trans voices, are rarely centered in our own stories. That's why we bring you a new limited series called We See Each Other, the podcast, co-hosted by me, journalist, and better half of the Max Fun Podcast, Fanta, Travel Anderson, and me, award-winning journalist and media personality, Char Jocelle. All of it is based on my book, We See Each Other, A Black Trans Journey Through TV and Film. Now listen, folks, we're having a very different kind of conversation. It's giving kitchen table talk. Mm-hmm. We get into the discourse, honey. Tune in to We See Each Other, the podcast at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get Slayworthy Audio. Welcome back, beautiful people. As you all know... Jared and I are journalists, okay? And we are also black queer folks, okay? And for black queer folks who are journalists, when it comes to the question of representation and who we can look at in the industry with similar identities, especially at the top, you know, whatever you might consider to be the top of the industry, there's a very finite list of people that we can point to. One of the people on that list, in my estimation, whether you like it or not, is Don Lemon, the now former CNN anchor. Throughout his time on the cable news network, did you know that CNN stood for cable news network? Anyway, throughout his time on the cable news network, we've seen him transcend just being a news person to being more of a personality, a celebrity, dare I say, a possibility model for some. But a couple weeks ago, Don Lemon was unceremoniously fired, his words not mine, or his sentiment not mine, unceremoniously fired from the network three years before his contract was supposed to expire. According to the New York Times, CNN had experienced difficulty in booking guests willing to appear on air with Don, and polls had shown his popularity among viewers had declined. There was also a variety expose in which they spoke to more than a dozen people who basically said that he was misogynistic, that he was horrible to work with, not great work environment. And if you're like me, I'm old enough to remember when he was covering, I believe it was Ferguson, talking about it, quote unquote, obviously smelling like weed. Or do you remember that time when he wanted to discuss nigga on his show and he had, you know, the signs with the word on it? <laughs> My God, today. Anyway, all the more My reason. God, yesterday. <laughs> all the more reason why he is a perfect fanti topic because it is not only complex over here, it is also very complicado. All right. Jared, mm. to get us started. How did you come to know who Don Lemon is? What is your origin story with Don Lemon? Not my origin story. Oh, God. Okay, so, um, I mean, I've always been a news junkie. And so being on watching cable news all the time, I, I was very familiar with Don um, in his earlier days at CNN. And then I was an intern at CNN. So I worked... Uh, and documentaries and like I got the opportunity to meet with him because um, I think I'd asked or like you know made some kind of connectivity there but like I that was not my department so I wasn't over there with him regularly but I got to spend the day with him really kind of like shadowing him and see what his process was how he was writing how he was meeting with his team and also then the coolest part of it to me was like as a person who wanted to be an anchor back then he let me sit on the desk with him while he was live on the air 
right? And like, Aww. you couldn't see me on television, but I was sitting next to him, like, and like seeing him go through the scripts and watching him click through. And he was fantastic. And I was like, Aww. it was so kind, right? And I remember being like, oh my God, this is the coolest experience. And I had worked in news and different things like that, but like, and that, but it was a very, very cool experience to be sitting there on the desk at CNN while we were on the air. Um, and so he was really, really fantastic to me back then. And then like, I haven't really connected with him very much since then, to be quite honest. We follow each other. We are familiar at very best. But like, I that was my sense of who Don Lemon was um, from the earliest uh, kind of experience with him. What about you? How, what's your Don Lemon origin story? Because I feel like it's going to be very different. <laughs> Well, I was not somebody who watched the news. You know what? I think I actually came to know about him, like, in adulthood, right? Like, I think I had already graduated. Maybe I was in grad school. Maybe I was already working at the LA Times. I can't remember. But I do recall reading his book. Like, reading his book was was my first, I think it's called Transparent or something like that. Reading his book was, like, my first time, like, really knowing who he was. Like, I knew he was on TV, but I wasn't really watching cable news. This was also early in my, like, journey of, like, diving into journalism, right, as a career for myself. And so I knew I was interested in that time at, like, queer people who were queer Black people who were doing this type of work. And and so, you know, you Google, you know, Black gay journalists or whatever. And, you know, I, I want to say it was a few years after his book had came out. So he was like near the top of the list. I got the book from, I believe, the library, maybe. You remember those? I'm mm -hmm. not familiar. I got the book from the... <laughs> I got the book from the library and I read it. And so, you know, I probably know entirely too much about his, you know, journey to to the CNN anchor desk. Um, but that was my first, like, diving into it as a potential, like, you know, person to look up to. Um, and then obviously over the years, um, once I was actually in this career, actually doing the job, actually trying to carve out space for myself while also witnessing his work over the years. Um, I mentioned some of those highlights in my intro. That is when I was like, oh, 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 okay, okay. Um, but as we get into, <laughs> if you know, you know, okay. I'm not doing this with you. I'm not. Um, as we get into our fan and anti-structure for this conversation. Let's talk first about the things that we that we like, that we appreciate about Don Lemon, his place in the industry, etc. Take it away. This will probably end up being the blooper, but I just have to point out something that has happened over here for me. You mentioned that the book might be titled Transparent, and as a supportive co-host, I went to Google to make sure that I got that the title was right and I was going to going to bring it up. Uh-huh. And I'm on this book page and like, it's like other books you might enjoy. And it's Tip It by Maggie Griffin. Do you know Kathy Griffin's mom, Maggie? Uh-huh. The fact that it's like Don Lemon and Maggie Griffin Tip It, it's just hilarious to me. And I wanted to point that out. Okay. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> so I, as we're kind of talking about the things that we appreciate about Don Lemon is like, I have to have respect for a black queer man coming out on television in the way that he did in when no one else had, had was really doing that. And like, that took something really important to be able to do. Um, and so I, 
when I worked with Don, it was before he had come out um, and before his, his book was out. And I think like it was known, but like not really talked about in public or something like that. Mm-hmm. I can't really remember. But he's also moved up the ranks over the years in CNN in a way that takes something, right? Like, and like, mm-hmm. I, just in, in fairness, like I was not like a viewer of Don's show. He, it wasn't really my style of show. But like, I appreciate that he was there every night. He had a team, he had a, a voice and like a lot of people listened to his voice every single night. And so I I had a lot of respect for that. But like, we can, we're gonna get into the anti in a few minutes. And we will. But like, I, I really appreciated kind of the, the stature that he was able to build for himself at CNN until the time i i also feel like something that you you can't take away from don is that like his voice has been a part of the storytelling of the last decade mm-hmm. right when you watch documentaries about things that have happened in this in really the last probably 15 years you're going to hear don's voice you're going to hear his reporting you're going to hear you know the the way that he told the story don lemon is a part of what this what this zeitgeist is um because of the work that he did so um, that's kind of one of the the things that I feel like I appreciate about Don as we as we look in the fan. Yeah, I mean, I think I think to be quite honest, I think that's where my fan starts and stops um, is about the the role, right? Don't laugh at me <laughs> about I, well, I'm, nothing. <laughs> what about the place that he has in society in in the journalism ecosystem specifically right as a black queer person i think you're absolutely right that like you know there's there's part of that ascent in that journey that you know has to be recognized as fruitful and positive and wonderful to witness, especially once he came out, right? Um, Because we know the, you know, glass ceilings, right? And other um, invisible restrictions and constrictions that queer people, especially if you are also Black, have to navigate, especially if you're doing it in public in some short sort of ways, as he was on television, right? Um, and so want to give, you know, what is it, deference, uh, uh, respect or whatever, you know, it is to to that kind of representational space, right, that he takes up. But that's that is that I do believe that that is where it starts and stops for me, because so much of the work. You, you mentioned how in so many different ways you're going to hear about Don Lemon's thoughts on or how he covered certain issues. When you watch documentaries and they do the little montage to like show you what was happening over a particular period, there's always going to be a Don Lemon clip, right? Absolutely. But I also thought that like many of those clips are not great, though, at least in the documentaries I'm watching, at least in the ones I'm watching. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Right. Don Lemon, as a visible black gay man who had the platform that he had, was also, you know how we always talk about Bill Cosby and how Bill Cosby was going around here telling people to pull up their pants and was like really embracing respectability. Right. It sounds like we've already moved into the anti. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead on. Get in there. Well, I'm using a I'm using a very specific example, right? Bill Cosby was going around here telling people to pull up their pants and saying that, like, you know, we as black people, if we wanted respect, then we have to respect ourselves, right? That was Bill Cosby's thing. Don Lemon 
also expressed similar thoughts. Can I ask you to pause right there? Don, this is where you should probably stop watching. <laughs> right? About how we as Black people should be showing up in the world and moving through the world for the sake of white consumption and white appeal. Right? Like, those are just the facts. You can go find the clips if you want. But I was there, okay? I remember witnessing it. I remember mm -hmm. the social media discourse, right, about it, right? All of the think pieces that came out about it. And so it's interesting to juxtapose a lot of the, the work that at least we remember because of the ways in which it either felt like some sort of betrayal to many in Black community, right? That you had this Black man, this Black gay man, telling us as black people that we shouldn't say nigga or automatically assuming and perpetuating a host of stereotypes while he's covering, right, something as tragic as what went down in Ferguson, right? Um, and then also, for the most part, him not seemingly being open to the feedback that was being lodged his way from community, right? And so it's interesting to juxtapose his kind of representational place for all those things that we listed in the fan side of this conversation up against the actual work, or at least the bits and pieces of the work that seemingly most resonate and stick with the culture. That's something that's tough for me to, to, to I shouldn't say tough, but like reconciling that is interesting to say the least. When you said, you know how Bill Cosby, I was like, oh, here we go. Okay. Listen. <laughs> Get in. <laughs> listen, you know, listen. Friend, you did that. You know she showed up okay she showed up <laughs> she's in her bag today and i appreciate it <laughs> oh god i was like oh girl go off go all the way in um what i think is actually really important here is like don lemon i think represents a moderate part of the community right that that doesn't think we should be saying nigga. Which community? Of, of, of black community. Oh, the right? black community. Of black folks, okay. right? Like there are Just a lot of people who- Just wanted to verify. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To be fair. Um, and like, oh, blackest of Jesuses, blackest of Call Jesuses. Up. Okay. Call up. Um, but there are a lot of people who see the world the way that Don does, right? And like that, that more progressive folks are like not really fucking with anymore or are pushing back up against him being like, yeah, I don't fuck with you on that. Or actually, you don't need to be telling me how I should speak. Or you need to be thinking about how you talk about this community. Or you need to be thinking about how you address women and those different kinds of things, right? I think that is, I think there, we have aunties and uncles and grandparents or, or even people who are our age that see the world in that way. And I think that um, it's kind of interesting in, 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 in black community, we, we really police the lines of blackness and how we see things and like, and kind of, kind of push people away when they don't, when they don't agree with certain parts of, of community. And like Don squarely falls within that space, right? Where he's had pushback because he wasn't progressive enough for people. And I think it was a lot of fair pushback. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's also important to know, how do I want to say this? Well, side note, while you were speaking, I, I, uh, you mentioned that, you know, he was kind of moderate or whatever. Did you know, I was doing my research for this episode, did you know that he, won, he, he, he was a Republican back in the day and he, what? I did not know that, but. 
um, this is public information. Uh, when he was in school, apparently he was a Republican. He voted for Reagan. And then I believe it was in 2019, 2018, you know, he, you know, made this whole big deal on his show about being um, an independent, like a registered, you know, independent as a as a means of, I guess, delineating, right, uh, that mod- moderate moderation moderateness moderality wow the fact of him being you know moderate in 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 his positioning but i wanted to note that it's also kind of i think a lot about our growing success as individuals and how it's hard to be quote unquote successful in this world with these systems that we are under and not in big ways and small ways capitulate to whiteness and what is ultimately white supremacy. And I wonder if said moderateness and like middle of the line approach to, you know, understanding uh, and seeing issues also contributed to all of that representational success, right? that that we mentioned Mm. because he was able to you know affect some sort of affinity with you know more conservative people across racial and ethnic identities as well as perhaps some of the more progressive folks um because right in the last few years don lemon got black black you know as the community like to say right like Post Ferguson, post post that, you know what it is. Like he literally, right, like the week before, either the week of or the week before he um he was fired, right? He literally was going back and forth with this, you know, conservative person who was, you know, trying to twist the history, right, as it relates to black folks and guns in this country, right? And so Don Lemon was, you know, literally took the entire segment. It was an issue for his co-host to, like, push back on that, right? So he's blackified <laughs> um, over the last few years in particular. Um, and that's been interesting to witness as well, right? Just the overall shifts in how he goes about articulating his various feelings about particular things. I think often about the ways that we police the boundaries of blackness and like one of those ways is in politics and how and like where we stand on politics, right? And while I think about, I I come from a really liberal progressive lens, right? And I get that. And I also think that when we are looking at people who don't see the, the world in the same way, we question their blackness or we measure their blackness. Because, I mean, I've been doing the same thing. I'm like, oh, Donda got real black. Like, he didn't really lean in, right? But I also don't think that that measure is fair to people, right? In the same ways that, like, we we do that because of their partners and their ethnicities, and we do that because of the way that they speak or dress or whatever, what have you. But I think that, like, we've seen, especially in the Trump years, I think we've seen even more conservative black folks really get a lot stronger about how they feel about their blackness, about their politics, about the way they view the world, about the way they see this country. And I can tell you just from the people that I know that are in that Don Lemon kind of age group and demographic of lens, I've seen those people get a lot more radicalized than I've ever seen before 
in similar ways to like we've seen on the other side as well, right? Because I know mm. for myself, like when I was younger, like I wasn't thinking about politics. I remember being in high school and thinking George Bush was on some bullshit. Right. But like I wasn't thinking about race in the same way that I was until I moved to Atlanta and went to Clark and was like able to like be immersed in blackness. The Bay Area is like really diverse. And I I wasn't thinking about race in the same way until I got older. And so when I see Don nowadays, I'm thinking like it's not about age. I think it's about the time we're in and like the things that we've been through, mm. because like Don was saying things 10 years ago that right now we would be like, I know you fucking lying because we were the more progressive people were saying it back then. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so like I'm, I'm challenged there because like I, I see like we can kind of track his progress here, but it's also like, I can't agree with him on everything. Right. I, or there's a lot of times when Don has come out and said things when I've been like, why the fuck would you say that, right? But also, as a black journalist mm -hmm. and as a leader amongst black journalists, when he got fired, I sent him a message because he said, like, I don't know. He, the way he presented it initially, I was like, if you need support from black journalists or from this association, like, let me know, right? I haven't heard from him. But, like, we also have to, like, be supportive in those moments as well. It's a weird dichotomy to be in. Well, I did not reach out to him. <laughs> uh <laughs> She said, fuck it. No, I'm kidding. Go ahead. No, but 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 also, right, I the particulars around his firing are there are questions. Okay. 100 percent Again, like I said, check out for everyone listening, check out that variety story. Really interesting. And then, you know, also, right, like I have heard stories about Don Lemon, right? That match up with what is in that variety story. I don't have any personal experience with any of that or him. I do think, I want to go back really quickly to the point that you were talking about, about the, uh, how we as black folks sometimes police other people's blackness. And I just want to complicate that a little more by saying, at least when I'm speaking, I never want to question, you black, you black. If you black, you black, right? Not questioning that. But I think it might be more appropriate to say that, you know, the at least intention behind what is perceived as a policing of blackness is really about figuring out, you know, one's anti-blackness. Because you can be black. We are all black, right? But we all have varying levels of anti-blackness, mm. right? That we need to continually tease out to ensure that we don't become machinations of white supremacy. Come on. Right? That we don't become the black face of a white institution that still wants to see people who looks like who look like us, right, at the lowest levels of, you know, the ladder, right? Preach. Of whatever ladder you want to talk, right? And Don Lemon has exhibited anti-black behavior. Time and time again. Help her, Holy Ghost. Right? Um, and I think it's safe to say over the last few years, in part because of the, as you mentioned, the the world that we are in right now, right? And however it might have personally or professionally impacted Don Lemon, we've seen him articul articulate things that would seem to be incongruent with stuff that he has articulated before. Right. And it's interesting about providing grace and space for people to grow and change. Right. And learn and develop. And we should always do that. But I believe it was the Game of Thrones people who said never forget or the North remembers or something like that. And so that's me. 
I've never watched Game of Thrones. I just watched one episode, the one with the the red wedding, and I said never again. Um, but I believe that's something that they say. I just thought it was interesting that like you attach never forget to Game of Thrones. Because I feel like that's something that they say. You know, you got to be, you know, you got to be, you got to have a variety of references because, you know, black people are not a monolith. A lot of black people watch Game of Thrones. And I pray, I bet you they appreciate that reference, especially coming from me. Well, no, no, it wasn't a because Game of Thrones is a white reference. Oh. I always think of never forget, never forget as nine eleven, and so Game of Thrones. I was like, oh, oh I didn't even know that was the thing. We're way off topic. Oh my god, today. <gasps> Sorry. Anyway, I do. There, there is. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of validity of what you're saying. I think that like black folks' anti-blackness has been receding, right? Like, I think we've seen, mm. like, black folks starting to recognize their own anti-blackness and starting to be like, oh, I'm participating in that, or, oh, I'm a part of that, or, oh, I've been perpetuating that at work, or, oh, I've been doing that in my neighborhood, or I've been thinking about things differently. And I, I think that we we see that quite often in people's, like, progress and the ways that they they talk mm -hmm. about how they see the, um, their political view. I also think that my, my that the that the grace that I want to extend towards Don um, as a public figure is also one that has developed um, over the last few years in particular, right? As, as we have become more visible folks, you know, it is not easy being on the camera, on a microphone, and having to articulate something, right? To, whether that's interviewing, whether that's, I don't know if Don had a, you know, Jerry's thoughts at the end of every episode or something like that. But so many of the folks with those types of shows had like, you know, the monologue section at the end or whatever. But that there is a lot of pressure there. And learning in public, baby, is difficult. It is hard. Hard with an O, y'all, okay? And so I want to, you know, extend and recognize, the, you know, the difficulty in that space as well. I will also note, and this is unfair of me, but I'm going to say it anyway. Oh, God. It is important for me as a Black, queer, and trans journalist to stay connected to the Black, queer, and trans journalist community. As I, as my star, you know, gets bigger, praise the Lord. And I am interested in... <laughs> mm how Don Lemon for himself thinks about his relationship to black queer journalism community and black queer community more broadly. Amen. Right. We haven't mentioned his white husband yet. And I'm only mentioning it, right, because every single time one of those threads get going when folks want to talk about, you know, the black men and their white men partners, you know, he's always on, you know, often and always on, you know, that list. And I think it's important for us as black queer people to talk about the ways that other black queer people, especially those who are, have some sort of platform of visibility, how they are, how they are or are not right. Because it is their choice and they can do whatever the hell they want showing up for other folks of similar identities. And it is unfortunate because we know that so for so many black people, when they get to a certain level, it often feels as if their connection to community, you know, dissipates mm -hmm. and it wanes. And I think that's an important conversation. I feel like Don's gonna end up being on the show. 
What show? On Don Lemon tonight. Bitch, what show do you think I'm talking about? I feel like Don's going to end up being on this show. Well, you best friends with him. He your mentor. He, on, he sat you beside Come him on. while he was doing uh, okay, the, hold the, on. The, see, the broadcast. See, so see, you see how you see how the <laughs> you see how the lamestream media lamestream. <laughs> will take an <laughs> will develop a narrative. Oh God. Um, I wanted to say a couple of quick things here. Mm-hmm. Number one, I think Fanti learning in public is an episode. Mm. Period. I think we should do that. Okay. And maybe Sherry Shepard is the guest for that. Oh my God, today. I think, I think that's a fun conversation. Um, uh, I'm pitching that, John Murray. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm pitching that to you. John's like, that's not my job. What you talking about? John is like, what? I'm not a publicist? <laughs> Call me. Okay, but um, I also, you talked about the queerness piece of this, and I'd written this down and wasn't sure if I'd be able to use it, but I did want to note that in the Variety article, the headline is is very queer coded. They say that in the headline um, of the the Variety article that we mm-hmm. have available in the episode notes, it says, Don Lemon's misogyny at CNN exposed a malicious text mocking female coworkers and quote, diva-like behavior. And I'm like, diva-like behavior is not some language that I hear them using for straight men, right? Like, it's like- Okay. That is some shit that, that you say about a queer person, right? And like, is it like super offensive and harmful and all this other shit? I don't know. But like when I read it, I was like, we have heard all kinds of stories about, you know, Chris Cuomo, Tucker Carlson, mm-hmm. and even straight black men like Charles Barkley and Shannon Sharp and Steve Harvey, who've all really been kind of talked about for their eccentric personalities and their demanding their their demanding nature of like um of their teams we've seen this the that letter that came out from steve harvey that was really controversial Mm -hmm. about how he didn't want people coming to his dressing room and things Mm -hmm. like that i didn't hear people calling him a diva they may have but i don't remember that right but like but seeing diva like behavior with don i was like "Mm, that that feels like something and to be fair it was a quote it wasn't an editor but like it was in the headline yeah and you know what you you're not wrong you you're not wrong i'm i see that but also if he's being a diva, he's being a diva. Listen, be a diva, sis. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I I just want to point it out. You know, like, you know, it, it, it is, yes, both coded language and could also be very, very, very true. Um, but, you know, people call me a diva. People call me a diva. And guess what? Guess what, Jared? Guess what? I'm not guessing. I, yeah. I refuse. <laughs> We want to hear from y'all. Let us know what you think about this conversation. <laughs> Hit us up on social on social media using the hashtag FantiFam. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and the TikTok machine at Fanti Podcast. Coming up, why y'all hate us so much in our listener feedback and our honorable mentions, dishonorable mentions. I, I almost got all the way through that without stumbling. We'll be right back. Video games can make you laugh. They can make you cry. They can even make you sing. We're the hosts of Triple Click. It's a podcast about video games. This is an exciting time for new games from Diablo to Final Fantasy. From Starfield to Street Fighter. From Zelda to, oh, who are we kidding? We're just going to talk about (laughs) Zelda. Whether you play games or you just like hearing about them, we've got you covered. Find us at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. Bye. 
Welcome back to Fanti. Apparently, I already done fucked up the show because I was supposed to pull an email and Travel's having to do it now, and I'm a terrible person. What you got for us, Travel? Well, I wouldn't say terrible. Oh. You know, that might be a little much, you know? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We have an email here from Nicole. The title of their email, of her email, is Hustle Culture and Happiness. My name is Nicole. I'm a longtime fan and listener of the pod and felt compelled to email you about my experience with hustle culture and the idea of happiness. Okay, so this is in response to you had asked a question a couple episodes ago about happiness, right? And whether, you know, I felt we feel mm -hmm. like we can be happy. Not sure if this is relevant, Nicole says, but I am a white woman. LOL, cringe. I live in New York and have dreams of acting full time. <laughs> Sigh. Couldn't I have picked a more lucrative, realistic goal to be passionate about? Anyway, because of this, I have mainly worked in restaurants over the past 10 years as it offers flexibility and quick cash. However, your girl is also an alcoholic. Oop. Oh. The oop is hers, not mine, by the way. <laughs> she wrote that. She did write it. But that's how it hit me. So I was like, when you said it, I wasn't ready. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Nicole says, I have been sober for sober for over three months now. Oh, congratulations. Nice. And I'm trying to break out of the industry as it has encouraged and fueled my drinking over the years. I just started a job as part-time administrative assistant at a university. I worked there four days a week, but this income alone would not be sufficient for me. Therefore, I'm keeping my weekend restaurant job. I'm now working seven days a week and I'm already experiencing feelings of intense anxiety and sometimes depression. I'm fortunate enough to have an amazing therapist who guides me through all of this, but it's still very challenging. I find myself falling into the idea that working seven days a week is admirable and I find solace in the fact that I am hustling slash grinding and working for my money while others who may be more privileged than me are not working as hard. Even though this mentality helps me get through the week, I also realize that it is just another way for capitalism slash white supremacy to seep through the cracks. To prolong the amount of time I have before I feel burnout, I employ the mentality that hustle culture is a positive thing when deep down I know it is not. I have noticed that the more I work, the less time I allow myself to have guilt-free relaxation. During my quote-unquote downtime, I am scrolling through audition postings and or working on my resume rather than watching TV or reading a book in the few hours of time I have to actually relax. I am not happy. Even when I book a role and feel I am one step closer to getting representation by an agency or what have you, I find that I am already thinking about how I will support myself for the next project. It is a fucking mess. Just wanted to share. Hustle culture sucks. Capitalism sucks. All of this fucking sucks. And I am unhappy. Love you both. Nicole. So first things first, I want to congratulate you on three months of sobriety. I know that that is challenging. And um, congrats on that. So secondly, I want to point out a show called How to Get Rich on Netflix. It's a new show with Ramit Sethi, and it's really, really fantastic. And it talks about money. I've talked here before about like having challenges with like how I think about money and wanting to think differently about it. Um, and so I, I hear you talking about like the hustle culture of this. And like in the episode, one of the episodes, he talks about this idea that like, oh, if I work harder, if I work harder and I work more and I work harder and I work more, um, I'll be rich or it'll, it'll, it'll achieve X, Y, Z for me. And like, that can be true for certain things, but it does not always mean we're going to make more money. 
right? And like, I can tell you as a person who does a lot of volunteer work, a lot of development work, a lot of things that are like independent work, like, I don't make as much money as I could be making somewhere else, right? But I work my ass off. And so it is It is not this idea that like, oh, you need to be working harder. This idea of no days off is some bullshit to me. Like I have never bought into that. I think it is, it is all capitalism and all the idea that you're supposed to be just killing yourself for the sake of work. And like, I just do not believe in that. And so I, I but I struggle with it myself because even last night I was up until midnight writing when I was supposed to be done at seven, but like I had this something coming through and I was writing it and I was like, well, you know, you gotta, you gotta work late nights and do it. And I'm arguing with myself about whether or not I should stop because I've been writing all day. And like, I, I have that programming as recently as last night. And so it's something that I'm always resisting against myself and trying to like interrogate. Um, You know, I think for me, I, uh, it has been a very busy time period in my life. Praise the Lord. I've said this before, but like having these conversations is always tough for me because I, I, I don't like, I work a lot. I work too much actually, but my motivation is not money. Right. My my motivation is something very different. Right. Something uh, uh, beyond myself. And so for me, that is the difficult thing to reconcile and square. Right. Like I do all the stuff that I do because I'm trying to, you know, create space and make people feel more safe in the spaces that we are in and, you know, document the history for the people to come and, you know, all that extra shit. And, you know, I (laughs) I this past weekend, some of you who follow me, you know that uh, I was supposed to do Good Morning America this past weekend. And 20 minutes after I posted about it, um, they, you know, told us about a quote-unquote scheduling conflict um and so it's we ended up pre-taping it it'll run this coming saturday but i did that pre-tape interview that morning went straight from good morning america to the airport flew back got in the car came home changed immediately to go to Michael Chin's birthday party. Shout out to Michael Chin, um, one of our OG guests. And then woke up the next morning, right, to do What A Day. And also had two interviews for We See Each Other, Black Trans Journey Through TV and Film, and We See Each Other, the podcast available everywhere. Hey. <laughs> and then just, you know, jumped right on into to this work week, right? And I do think that we all have to think differently about what breaks look like, what this hustle culture um, looks like. But again, for me, it's always interesting because I'm like, I'm not hustling to fit into hustle culture. I'm not hustling because it feels like I have to. I'm hustling because of the broader, you know, goal um, and broader calling or purpose. And like, that's difficult for me to reconcile. Um, But I am happy most days. Um, So, you know, do with that what you will. Thank you so much, Nicole, for your letter. And now it is time for our dishonorable mentions. These are the stories of people that caught our attention this week that deserve a call out either for their good or their foolishness. Jared, again, you have 12 million. Would you like to get us started? I, I just have a couple. Um, I want to give a shout out. And- he always be like, I got a couple. And then there's be five listed here. Well, I mean, some weeks it's one. So, <laughs> you know, you'll take what you can get. True. Um, I want to give a shout out to the Pulitzer Prize winning Erica Diane Smith. 
Uh, Not her middle name now. <laughs> I, I, she's Erica D. Smith, I should say. Um, she has a job here at some paper in Los Angeles, but she is an advocacy committee member at the National Association of Black Journalists here in Los Angeles, and we are so proud of her. According to the piece at the Los Angeles Times, um, more than a dozen times journalists shared bylines or credits on stories submitted um, to the Pulitzer judges. They included City Hall regulars David Zonizer, Dakota Smith, Julia Wick, uh, Benjamin Oreskes, I hope I said your name correctly, as, along with Gustavo Ariana, Erica Diane Smith, Jessica Garrison, Ruben Vives, uh, Marissa Gerber, Angel Jennings, who's another friend of our organization, Emily Alper Reyes, Melanie Mason, and Libor Janney. Hope I said your name correctly as well. Um, congratulations to all of you on your Pulitzer win um, for the coverage of the um, the City Hall situation that we heard about. You know the racist language that came out of there. Um, their managing editor was. Steve Cloud, but I also want to give a shout out to Kevin Merida, who is the uh, executive er editor over at the Los Angeles Times. Congratulations on this big uh, this big moment for all of you. Really, really proud of you. So congratulations. Um, I want to give a shout out to a show that I've probably talked about here before. Um, I love couples therapy on Showtime, and it is back with what should be a season four, but it's still some reason season three. Um, but the available the episodes are all out on Showtime right now. I through the show. I saw Bianca talking about it on Twitter the other day. If you're a person who's into therapy or like into the love and dating relationship kinds of shows, it is such a good show. Um, I, I'm so into it. So uh, check out Couples Therapy on Showtime. While we're talking about premium cable, um, over on HBO Max, um, a black lady sketch show is so good. And if you're not watching it, you are missing out. Um, this season is their final season, and their class this class is Robin Thede, Gabrielle Dennis, Sky Townsend, and they have three featured artists who are Demaya Gurley, Tamara Jade, and Angel Lakita Moore. And they are so funny. Like you might remember that Quinta Brunson was on season one of this show. She left the show to go uh, create Abbott Elementary. Ashley Nicole Black who you you know um, from various different things she's in films and I remember her from um, being back on Sam B over on TBS. Um, it's executive produced by Issa Rae and they've had all kinds of really great guest stars and really, really great moments on the show that are just really, really funny. So go check out A Black Lady Sketch Show on HBO Max, which is about to become Max or whatever it is now. I also wanna give a shout out to Fanti Fave and Professor Dr. Charles Davis. I told y'all he had a lot. Uh, listen, I have some things to say. Dr. Charles Davis has a new podcast called Police Free Campus. I believe it's um, also, you can type in hashtag Police Free Campus. Um, it engages in organizers, practitioners, and scholars in discussing the challenges and possibilities for colleges and universities without the police. Um, shout out to Dr. Davis. He's been on our show here multiple times. He's going to be uh, a part of the conversations mm -hmm. that we have um, coming out in Historically Black Phrases. Love him. He's a fantastic man. And uh, I want y'all to go check out his podcast. Lastly, I just want to shout out something. Annie Fine, in case you were wondering. He is not an unattractive person, but that is not what I'm talking about. Um, lastly, I want to give a shout out. We could talk about it both. To something that um, uh, I I just rediscovered yesterday that really touched my spirit. I, I was planning to have something delivered to you during the taping of the show today, but it didn't work out with the timing. But that Wendy's Baconator breakfast combo... Baby, my God today, my God today. If you have not had a breakfast Baconator, 
let me tell you, they are doing God's work over at the Wendy's in the morning. Oh my God. Let me tell you, baby. It is so good. I'm I'm if I remember, I'll have one sent to you next week. And it's oh, it's so good. But that's all. Love that for you. Um, as I mentioned earlier uh in the episode, uh I have been, you know, an authoress for a week now and the promo and whatnot has been an interesting journey. So I want to first give out an honorable mention to the members of the Fanti fam who showed up to my uh, New York book event um, last week. Shout out to you all. Um, and, you know, the, the others of you who also listen to What A Day, a lot of the What A Day squad, the WAD squad were present as well. Shout out to you all. It was a wonderful time and experience. Also, shout out to Fatima Jamal, who moderated that conversation for me. But I want to give a dishonorable mention to the grandmama oh. who called in Side note, not even side note, context. So I had this little, they call it an integrated media tour where they have me in a studio and they basically patch me in to these different, you know, entities, whether it's like a local news spot or a talk radio show or whatever. And I just, you know, I cycle through them mofos from, you know, 8 a.m. To, to, to noon, right? Five minutes here, 10 minutes here, 40 minutes here, you know. And I was doing an interview with this black talk show in a uh, radio talk show in Chicago. Okay. And now we were supposed to do two segments. We did our two segments and they were like, do you have time for one more? And I said, yeah, I got time for one more. Cause it was my last, it was my last, it was supposed to be my last oh, no. interview. Oh, right. No. And we didn't have an episode of Fanti to record. Uh, because we did a drop of We See Each Other, the podcast, in the feed. Hope y'all like that. And so I was like, yeah, I got time for, you know, one more segment. Now, little did I know, in the next segment, they wanted to open up the phone lines. And so they opened up the phone lines, and somebody's grandmama. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, help us, Holy Ghost. No. Somebody's grandmama. Oh, more context. Right before the break, we had talked about the 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 sports bans and the bathroom bans and you know the legislation that we as trans people are um, you know battling right now. And so somebody's mima got on the phone to tell me that her Bible, what her all the stuff about what her Bible say, and you know da 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 da, but how we need to let kids be kids. She don't care. What, what we do when we are adults. But we need to let kids be kids. And you know, mind you, so wasn't prepared for, you know, Gen Pop to be asking questions. Because, you know, when, when Gen Pop is asking questions, right, they don't, they don't have the, you know, filter, perhaps, that folks who are used to being in, in front of a microphone, you know, might have. Um, and so they say things in a, in, they say things in the way that your Mima would say things, right? Let's just say I was taken out of my um, uh, doing promo for the book energy. And I told this woman, I said, you know what? Sometimes we need to put down our Bibles and pick up other educational materials. Oh no. And I said, additionally, you know, we always say we want to let kids be kids, but the kids are telling us that they are trans. The kids are articulating their truths to us, and we are not allowing them and supporting them and affirming them. And I said, listen, ma'am, 
I knew that I was different, quote unquote, because I didn't have the language, but I knew that I was different since four years old. Say it. Now, as I stand before you, I am a wonderful, fabulous, amazing, wonderful being. Okay. I couldn't curse because normally I would say I'm a non-binary bad bitch, but I couldn't curse because it was radio, right? Uh, like regular radio, not like, you know, Sirius XM. Anyway, um, and I'm going to wrap this up shortly. I promise. <laughs> I tell her. That, you know, sometimes we need to put down our Bibles and pick up other educational materials. And then I tell her, I was like, you know, when I was four years old, I knew that I was different than how everyone around me wanted me to show up in the world. And though I sit before you as this wonderful, you know, well-adjusted, fabulous person, um, imagine who I could have been if what I knew to be true when I was four years old was affirmed and supported, right, and not policed. Right. And and, you know, attempted to be prayed away and, you know, all these other things. Right. And then I also said the reason why you need to put down the Bible and pick up some other educational materials, because you don't even know that you are parroting Republican and conservative talking points as your own. You don't know what you are speaking of. And it would be helpful for us all if we would do the necessary education that we should all do. And so my dishonorable mention goes to that Meemaw. And it also goes to her grandchild, because I know she got a grandchild, okay, who's queer. I always find, right, that the people who are most vocal about what they feel we should be doing with the LGBTQ, you know, et cetera. You know, you got somebody in your family that you hate, that you despise, that you, that you, come on, you see how they swish or sweet themselves all up through the, 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 the aisle at the church house, right? You see how they, you know, walk into the, Baby, listen, I got two of them right in my living room. And so I just, it just, it just, it, it, it reminded me, I'll put it this way. It reminded me of how much education still needs to happen and how much ignorance, right, in various communities that conservatives are exploiting mm -hmm. for the purpose of their anti-trans campaigns. And we should all think more deeply about that. Side note, check out The Anti-Trans Hate Machine. It's a fabulous podcast by journalist Amara Jones that details with explicit clarity, right, the campaign, right, that is anti-trans hate. That's all I got for you all today. Now it's time for Black History is Happening Every Paula Williams Madison is an American journalist and writer of Africa and Hakka descent. She's a former NBC Universal executive until she retired in 2011 from NBC after more than 35 years in news media. And Madison is now the CEO of a family investment group um, based in Chicago called Madison Media Management. She's been recognized for corporate leadership and community outreach. Um, she was named one of the 75 most powerful African-Americans in corporate America by Black Enterprise Magazine in 05. And she was included in Ebony Magazine's Power 100 in 2014. She was named one of the outstanding 50 Asian Americans in business um, as well. And she continues to carry on her legacy of community outreach in both Black and Asian communities, as well as uh, becoming the chair and CEO of the Los Angeles Sparks, a member of the WNBA Board of Governors, along with many other high positions and other organizations. I'll also say like, Paula is one of the people that we call on when we need um, advice or perspective or wisdom or um, just a little bit 
bit of a of another lens here in Los Angeles. And I'm incredibly grateful for Paula and all of the ways that she has, you know, uh, been in service to us. Um, so thank you. Shout out to Paula Madison, who's making Black History happen every single day. I would just note really quickly, one second. I would just note, you know, in case people were like, what the hell is Hakka? And then you also heard 50 Asian Americans in business. Hakka is a, you know, like sect of Chinese folks. Okay. So I just felt like that was important education. Noted. Um, <laughs> appreciate that. I um, want to let y'all know that uh, my new interview with Shonda Rhimes is available right now. Um, just uh, out on NPR and Bullseye. Um, we talk about her career and her new series, Queen Charlotte. Um, we talk about why she's just now starting to feel successful, um, how her life has been a lot different since um, moving over to Netflix. It's a really great conversation. So you can go check that out. Also, um, Travel's book, We See Each Other, and podcast, We See Each Other, the podcast, are both available right now. The book is available wherever you get um, your books, wherever you get fine books, and wherever you get your podcast. You can tune into both. And bad books. You know, it, it, you, you can get my book wherever you happen to be slumming it, okay? She said, I'm at the gutter bookstore, okay? Listen, I'm, I'm everywhere, okay? I'm, bitch, I'm worldwide, like Candy say. I'm worldwide. I'm a worldwide woman. You know the Beyonce? You don't, you don't know worldwide woman? Oh, that's a deep cut. Oh, I haven't heard that in so long. Oh, you're welcome. Anyway. Yes, and so we see each other, the podcast. It comes out every Tuesday. We did the feed drop last week, so you got a little tease. The What you heard last week was episode two, right? So you can go back and hear episode one if you want. And episode three is out right now, and it features a wonderful interview with actress Trace Lissette, who stars in the movie that you can go see right now in theaters called Monica. Take a quick listen. When the film premiered at Venice... Um, I believe it was an 11 minute standing ovation oh, yes. that you and the film uh, <laughs> received. How did it feel to be in that moment? I mean, I, I went to the bathroom directly after and I sat on the toilet and I boohooed because I didn't really understand what this moment meant. What is that? What does 11 and a half minutes of people clapping in your face in a foreign country mean? What does that mean? You know, mm -hmm. and I sat there with that and thought about me and my journey, my journey with my own family, my journey as a working girl in the village in the in the you know early 2000s, as a non-binary person in the 90s, you know, like what is all what is all this led up to this, and what does this mean? All right, um, make sure to go check out the new episodes of We See Each Other, the podcast, every Tuesday. Subscribe. Make sure that you are tuned in, and we've got more episodes coming for you each week. So. Um, anything else? You all good? You ready to go? No, let's go home. I got other stuff to do. Hustle call. Okay. <laughs> listen, okay, we got a full day of shit to do. Um, we appreciate y'all. If this is your first time watching us on YouTube, we have three seasons of shows back on our podcast. Um, so make sure to go check us out wherever you get your slayworthy audio or apparently the shitty audio probably too. Listen. If you have a comment or a suggestion about this week's show, we're at Fantai Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and the TikTok. Use hashtag Fantai Fam. Or you can shoot us an email to Fantai at MaximumFun.org. And as always, if you like what you hear, help us make it. 
Give us some dollars, $5, $10, whatever you can afford every month. You can do that by becoming a member of Maximum Fun family at MaximumFun.org slash join. Our music, as always, is brought to you by the one and only Grammy Award winning Corice, C-O-R dot E-C-E. Can I just say, now that Beyonce is on tour, you you just, oh my we are just bringing back Cozy in, in a wonderful oh. way. And I love that for Corice. Our graphics are by Ashley Wynn and the folks over at Moon House. House Creative. Our editor is Anne Marie Huber, and our producer is Palmira Muniz. Our singer producer. Oh, I think you were supposed to like sing it a little bit more. Remember, we're growing that. Our producer is Palmira Muniz. <laughs> I'm working on my part. Right. What is that? Didn't we tell you about Blues Clues last time? I didn't say purple. What do you? Our singer producer <laughs> is Lord. <laughs> Laura Swisher! This is a complex... This is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported. No, 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 no. Because I feel like you're about to like start speaking in tongues or something. And I don't know. (laughs) 